Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Here we go. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, you okay? Hello. Is everyone okay? I didn't know how to start again. This is like the fourth time we've started now. Yes, and uh, I don't even know how to begin. You I don't even did. know how to begin. Oh, it's the beginning of... I'll tell you how to begin. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome to A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers, by writers who hate writing. Uh, my partner has either had a stroke or is in some kind of marijuana brain fog. So uh, I'll, I'll just start out and say that, uh, what a week. I uh, <laughs> went to visit him on Cape Cod at his house. We celebrated his 50th birthday and... Uh, no one was happier slash sadder to turn uh-huh. 50 than this guy. How about that? Is that a that's, nice little ramp in? That's, that's a good ramp in. That's great, Goldie. Don't let me vocal Glenn. Uh, yeah, so I had a bunch of you of friends came to Cape Cod. We had a whole weekend thing longer, like three or four days. Oh, yeah. And by the way, it was Long. 90 plus percent amazing. It was great. Oh. Like oh, I, I loved seeing you guys. I loved hanging out with you guys. And then I got derailed on the biggest night of the whole thing. So on the biggest night of your life. So far, possibly. Maybe that's why. But Maybe I don't get why it upset you so much. I Expectation? Mean, no, no, I don't either. We, it, I wish we, I did. This is why I'm in therapy, to yeah, figure out really, who I am. It was am. not a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. I'll tell but, you what. Yeah. Uh, your friends particularly your high school friends, were so nice and welcoming to me. Oh, I actually were. feel like I have more friends at your high school than I have at mine. <laughs> that's so funny. Wait, that's it. That's it. First joke of the day. First I know it's joke of the joke, day. It's I would happily just go to your reunions from now right. on. <laughs> you can. My reunions. There well, are more people who like me there. And I'll yeah. say it, 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 it was really a sweet. very interesting insight on the distinction between you and me because it made me go, oh, he feels good and secure. He's felt good and secure since he met these fellows and had this support system his whole life. So he approaches 
comedy and life with this background of things are going to work out. Maybe with a little bit of backdrop of, oh, my best days are behind me because those days were so great. I, on the other hand, approach everything from, God, all that time in my life was miserable, so I'm struggling to prove everything wrong, never believing anyone will like me or accept me, and that's oh, how man. I come to comedy. So I got the... I got to see both sides of it, and well, I just want to steal your life, like yeah, a sort of. Uh, it's it's fool's gold. It's fool's gold, it? and you know that because I mean, even the way you just described me is like, oh, maybe that's why he's so confident and self assured. That's not true at all. Like I'm not, and maybe you're. Maybe you think like, well, you have way more reason to be, given the fact yeah. that you came out of that situation. Oh, I was ready to talented Mister Ripley you all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Second joke of the day. Second joke of the day. Yeah, but let's get into the derailment a little bit because I'm interested. I, I, yeah. as you know, I'm on this therapy adventure trying to figure out who I am at 50, who I, who I was ever, you know, and how I feel about anything. So hard for me to express. So we had many, many fun nights, meals, dinners, you know, all the, the, the usual suspects and were people, there. And people, I thought... Paying tribute to you, saying nice things about you, showing up for you. So absorb yeah. that a I, little bit. I can't. It's hard. Maybe Don't be like the, the you California know, drought ground yes. that's so sun-baked that when the snow finally dumps, it just all runs off. Like, everyone <laughs> came because they love you. They didn't just yeah. show up. The, the food wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the food was excellent, Tall. It was good, <laughs> but it's not, it wasn't that good. That's not why we were Compared there. Compared to the all love right, Well, for that's you. nice of you to say. You also derailed me in my one moment of pondering Oh, there. Jesus Christ, um, go. Derailed. Derailed again. Uh, so we had lots of fun evenings, meals, etc. And then we, it's the big night, and this is a surprise for me. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, I haven't been told what's happening. I was told to buy clothes, which we may get into briefly after okay. this. But I was told to buy nice clothes for the Saturday night thing. So then it starts, and Tall has put together, like, just kind of a very impressive evening of there were poker tables, there were uh, was amazing catering, you know, like past foods as opposed mm -hmm. to, like, having to sit down for a dinner, which was great because everybody could kind of do their own thing. There was a guy playing the piano who will come play a, play a prominent role in a moment. And then there was just sort of another room where the dudes were hanging out watching the slam dunk contest, which we were having a fine time, like enjoying that, laughing. So there were these sort of s several separate areas where everything was going very well. You could hear the squeals of delight from the poker table. As you said, Goldie, there were several people having an adult conversation by the piano. Mm -hmm. Everything was great. Then, uh, <laughs> so just a little background here. Not everyone who was there was invited. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> so... There was there were people there that maybe weren't invited, and through various circumstances, they were there anyway. So one was of these I one of them. <laughs> you made it, but you somehow flew under the radar. So one of these people sort of pops their head into the room where we're all watching basketball, and with a very kind of plaintive tone, is like, you know, the piano player is only here for another hour, and. 
um, I think it would be nice if, you know, you came out and, and it, it was sort of presented, at least in my mind, I interpreted it as tall, my wife is asking through channels right, that I get out there. That's so, absolutely what I thought as well. Yeah. Okay. Thank that. you for the backup there. Yes. Yeah, so I take this bait. And even though I'm having, again, a fine time watching the slam dunk contest, laughing with friends I haven't seen in a while, I head out to the piano. Hang on. You're leaving something out. Yeah. Then a second and third different emissaries were sent, mm. appearing as though they were coming from your wife, which they were not. Right. But they must have been coming from this other person. And then, yes. I don't know if you remember, I no, but this exited is your, the your, room. But you're getting the order wrong. Are, okay, aren't you? Mind. Aren't you getting the order wrong? I, I don't know. I'll let you go. Uh, anyway, my it's memory. Your fucking ab- birthday. <laughs> my memory. Happy fucking birthday. So anyway, I, through through these requests, I get kind of dragged around the corner to the uh, piano and I go in there. It's all like totally different. It's like really brightly lit for a party. Like everything is the, the room is very bright. And this guy's playing piano and. He kind of stinks. He's just like <laughs> he's just like soulless. Like I Weird. I play piano and this guy was technically way better than I am. He could take pieces of music and play, you know, Notes. all the songs on there, but there was something like it just felt like I was at a double tree in bar it, or something. It's, it's almost as though he was doing it just for the money. <laughs> <Almost>. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I'm I'm in this room. In his very- stupid little vest. <laughs> I know. He had a vest. You're right. He was invested. Uh, heavily invested. Not a not a light person. So we I came around the corner and Tall is, is sitting there on the uh, couch. So this is all lining up as like, oh, this was her request. So I go and I sit with her in this incredibly brightly lit room. And then behind me, so there's sort of a, a wave of kind of everyone who was doing everything else and having fun at the party sort of shuffles in as though there's, they have to. Well, cause and, it's your birthday right. and we're all loosely tracking and, you and, and so, trying to please you. But right. Okay. right. So then everybody's looking, watching me watch a piano player. Like, and, and I felt right. sort of like suddenly like a zoo animal. Like, uh, it was not, not like everyone came in, like, singing along with the piano man. It was like a a quiet shuffle and like, what's happening in here? So it was very uncomfortable. And even Tall, who who rarely gets uncomfortable in social situations, was instantly like, okay, this is weird. So I pull the ripcord. I'm like, I'm going back into the slam dunk room where I was enjoying myself. But by that time... The damage had been done. Everyone was aware that like, oh, it was weird. aren't you kind of supposed to be in there over by the piano? So that was the so time weird. when more people started popping in and, and leaning their head in and like looking at me and like, you know, kind of giving me head gestures. And I'm, I'm so annoyed at this point. And in my memory, that was the moment, Goldie, when you walked out of the slam dunk room and then instantly came back in through another door and just shouted at me, get in there. <laughs> And yeah. so and so and it worked. Like well, you know, it had a very mommy and daddy or fighting vibe. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, maybe this will break the ice in a fun way yeah. and get this get through whatever this interlude was, and either get us to the conclusion of like, all right, here are the three songs we're all going to sing together, so we can go back to doing whatever oh. we want, or yeah. uh, 
blow the party up so much that we could just go back to our rooms. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and so you were close on that. So it got me back into the other room. Again, soulless piano player. Fe- only, and my motive, honestly, was just thinking that, like, I, I did want to make things better. Yeah, right. no, I, I get that. And it was okay. funny when you came in <laughs> shouting like that. Thank it was you. very, like, 1950s <laughs> alcoholic dad. It was very funny. Um, so I go in there, again, soulless piano, people trying to sort of, it seemed like Let It Be had, like, eight extra verses. Like the oh, way, of course. The way, it seemed like the national anthem. Like, there are these, yeah. there's the one we all know, say, can you see? And then all of a sudden there's ones about, like, Baltimore and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, where the pants were knit and stuff. And the you, greater metro D.C. area. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was just, uh, and by that time, I was I was so off kilter like I was you know angry about the way that the 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 way the evening had turned from like pleasant fun to now I don't know what this is but I really don't like it right obligatory right and so also what I meant to talk about was the night before which was Friday it was one of those nights and Goldie I know and both of you guys don't drink but you remember there are some nights where most nights, if I say, oh, I'm going to have a drink tonight, I'll have like two and a half. And I'm like, that's it. And the Friday night, for whatever reason, maybe it was something I ate that day. It was one of those nights where I could have like six drinks, you know, like it uh-huh. just kind of kept going through the night and I was fine. But like the next day, this day of the party, I think my tank was a little empty. Oh, yeah. That'll yeah, affect that makes you sense. for yeah. sure. Yeah. So so then it. it when when people notice that I'm off, the birthday boy is off, like uh, that becomes the headline. And it right. certainly was, you know, with Tal, it would put this whole great thing together and then only to have it kind of seemingly ruined by my dark attitude. Oh, no. And so it was just it was just a shitty like cherry on top of an otherwise very nice Sunday. Right. Um, but it wasn't, first but were of all, you dark? Oh, go ahead. It wasn't ruined, okay? No, no, no. But in my in my mind, like I, this is me projecting. The, the night was not ruined. Like lots of people had fun. I had yes. fun for most of it. Yes. But it was again the the that's the news that sells is the the bad news. So it was like mm. that kind of took over, and it took over in my mind where I'm I'm naturally predisposed to kind of like blame myself for shit anyway. So I was like particularly beating myself up. Then Tall sees that I'm getting into that zone, and she's like, "Well, what the what the fuck else do I have to do to you know yeah. give you a, a nice night?" Oh. So that just became like Makes this thing that then the next couple of days were like digging out of in some way, and just many more sort of like apologies, and and it just all becomes very exhausting, especially when I am aware, you know, in those moments that it's happening, but I cannot pull the rudder enough to come out of the tailspin and I can't make friends with my anger you know I can't I don't know exactly where it's coming from or what it's even all about and also you brought this up early sort of a version of this it's not like I was piled under Turkish rubble somebody asked me to go sing a song yeah. And that's what, what what sends me into a tailspin. So here I am blaming myself again, which is also yeah. exhausting. Anyway, that was the tale of my wonderful 50th birthday party. <laughs> okay, I'm, first I'm of sorry. all, like everyone was there for you because they love and esteem you, okay? So 
you know, recognize that, that people took clearly time have out of trouble their lives. With that. You know, people took time out of their lives to go there. It's not the easiest place to get to because they wanted to be with you. And they were with you. And people had a good time, a very good time and a memorable time. And <laughs> yeah, you, memorable. <laughs> and you hosted them. And I think I think what's happening here, if I can play armchair psychologist, Please. is that you have these other issues with being 50 that you haven't really dealt with that we all have not unique to you. And that this was why around my birthday, I went kind of radio silent and did like one thing and popped my head out because I knew whatever I did would turn into this. Like if I, if I tried to base an event on it, it's like trying to pile books on top of a ball. It's like, you might get one or two on, but it's going to fall over because right. emotionally, I, I just knew there was something going on with me that if no matter what I tried to do, if I said, like, everyone go to Vegas or whatever, I, I would just either be going, this isn't good enough or right. this feels weird or like, what's it all mean? I should be with my family. And if I'm with my family, it's like I should be celebrating and nothing I did would work. So I just took the option of not doing anything. But so can I the other part of this that I feel a little bad about was that John Viner, who was not invited to be a part of this podcast, <laughs> and I, it, it was put out to us that, oh, maybe people will give a few toasts. And then, mm-hmm. of course, when you hear that as a writer, you go, no, they're saying you're definitely giving a toast. This right. is. But right. then there was no spot to give this toast. And you seemed very alarmed by the prospect <laughs> of this toast. So you said, I feel bad that if, if you were off at all because of that, and I want to read you my toast on the podcast yes and (laughs) and you can just see that you were you were uh you were running from ghosts like there's nothing there but can i tell you because i thought about this because you mentioned this before uh and even when we were there and my analogy is like it it was as it was like i was storming the beach at normandy and then right before we got there somebody told me oh and by the way there's sharks (laughs) <laughs> it's like Jesus Christ! Like I'm, I'm worried about the fucking German gun turrets. Don't, don't put these sharks in my head. Like I don't even know if I'm going to make it up the beach. You were I worried guess, that the like, toast. Wait, were you worried that the toast was going to be not like a loving? Well, yes, and based thing? on plenty of past evidence, like you weren't, JC. You, you don't know about this, but we had a friend's wedding that the, the three of us went to: Goldie, Viner, uh, and myself, and. We were at a table, like gang banging a toast, like writing a toast together, and it was brutal. Okay. Like it, and it, it was hilarious, but it was absolutely savage. Okay. So, and then there was a, a time when I became aware, like, oh, Viner and Goldie are working on this toast, like kind of in front of me. Like it wasn't, you guys were doing it as I was like in the next room, and I could see Goldie sitting on the couch at one point. We were watching TV. And then instantly got up and like quickly walked into the kitchen where Viner was. And I said, oh, Goldie just thought of a joke for this toast. And then like five seconds later, I hear huge laughs from the other room. So it was like very, yes, it was like waiting in the dentist chair. Okay, I understand. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, so Viner's toast is a a separate issue, but here's my toast. I was right about that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was mean, but funny. It's, I'm sure hilarious. And but mine is more like mine was. If your mom was there, I didn't want to take any chances on yes. people getting offended or, or ruining the night. That's so here's right. a Let's here's the it. bare bones of my toast. So um, you know they would say like, "Does anyone have a toast?" And I was going to go, 
I guess I could speak, but I didn't prepare anything. And then I was going to take out my cell phone. And yeah. Clearly joke be one. Reading it joke one. Joke one. <laughs> so that's a light. That's an yeah. aperitif, a sort yes. of. Yeah. <laughs> so then I was going to say, um, I'm Goldie. Um, I don't know if everyone recognizes me because I'm staying in the guest house. Because uh, <laughs> there was this whole, <laughs> most people are staying in the main house. Right. A few of us. Clearly, more unsavory balder. We're staying in the guest house. You so. had the you had the cool house. Yeah, I, it is cooler, podcast, right? but I was gonna make a lot of hay of this. But I was gonna have to read whether your wife Tall was really because I know it seems it, she seems to not like this area of joking <laughs> because it is like it is just sort of. Uh, crapping on someone's generosity, which I don't right. want to do, but I also think it is funny comedically to set up. I was going to say, you know, there's a whole slobs versus snobs dynamic here. <laughs> yes, and the you know, oh God forbid, the guest house people come over, and you know, I was going to start talking about the the time. I texted you about something else, and then you said, by the way, there's charcuterie here if you want to come over. Like, you weren't going to tell me they were having charcuterie in the main house had I not texted you about this smaller issue. So it's like, oh, I get, I get you know, if, if anyone needs us to leave and go. Anyway, I was going to, like, linger on guest house jokes Love for that. a while. Love that. Okay. Joke two. Well, Alec is a big New England Patriots fan. And in a way... Alec is like the New England Patriots. Oh, Jesus. In that absolutely no one is still rooting for him to win. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I like that. It's going to point out the trappings of your large, beautiful home and guest house and say, it's enough. (laughs) Lose for a while now. (laughs) I was going to say, and of course, we all know Alec is, he's hilarious. He's one of the funniest guys ever, you know, Ted movies. I mean, the, the Family Guy Star Wars episode. It's it's just he's he's just really like comedically um, very funny. I mean, it's not the type of humor I enjoy, but <laughs> he's been successful. That's good. That's yeah. a good way to go with that. Yeah. So then I was going to do that. Then I was going to say, you know, and it's just a testament to how great a guy Alec is. Is all the people who show up. And it's one of the things I've noticed about Alec is, is I've known him for 25 years and so many people think he's their best friend. He's the best friend to everyone. And uh, then you'll meet like eight people you didn't know who also think he's their best friend. So <laughs> either he's an incredible guy or he's just basically a psychopath <laughs> who's manipulating us all. So that was uh, that's that. funny. And okay. you could have I would have pitched to tag it with and they're all named John. Yeah. <laughs> and so then this was this was the this is the now big bit of my toast. Oh good. You know, I'm gonna say we've hit Alex hit fifty, you know, he hasn't always taken the best care of himself. But we love him and we all want him to live a long life. So these are I researched this these are Johns Hopkins Hospital, uh, Johns Hopkins Medical School. These are their 12 keys to a long, happy life. 12? Yep. Number one, <laughs> don't smoke or vape. <laughs> Number two, get up and move. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Great, oh, boy. Number three, make healthy food choices. Oh, no. Uh, Number four, have a sense of purpose with your work. <laughs> That's not Johns Hopkins. <laughs> Number five, 
eat nuts every day. <laughs> Walnuts are especially good. <laughs> He's allergic. I'm allergic. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Number six. Be involved with your community. <laughs> That's hilarious. These are not jokes. They're just sentences. His life is turning them into jokes. <laughs> That's great. Number seven, drink in moderation, if at all. <laughs> Number eight, frequent sex. And then I was just going to do a leer, like, <laughs> oh. I don't know. I don't know. How dare you? There's the line. (laughs) Number nine, embrace spirituality or a belief in a higher power. (laughs) Number 10, never sit longer than 15 minutes at a time. Oh, savage. (laughs) Number 11, avoid soda. (laughs) You drink soda? And number 12, key to a long, healthy life. Get married. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was going to say, see you guys at the funeral. (laughs) Oh, my God. That is so great. Oh, well done. Well done. That was excellent. Excellent. It was nothing. No, I know. Yes. It was light and it was loving. And there was that bit, which is clearly those 12 things. I I was. And by the way, I really didn't change the list much for comedy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Like it was super close to what I did. I know. I should hear that again. No, I was projecting the uh, wedding toast we had written all those years ago onto what it was. But that was lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Um, But I'm I'm actually glad you didn't get a chance to do it because that means Viner would have gone too, (laughs) and then it would would have probably gotten ugly. One of my gifts to you was killing that toast, Uh and there was a lot of behind the scenes work I did. I appreciate that. that. Wow. Like you 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 understood that this was not a thing to. Oh, it would have taken an uneasy part of the evening, (laughs) and like. Opened its mouth, put it on the curb, and stomped on its head. (laughs) It would have been awful. Wow. Well, Viner continues to not be asked to be a part of this podcast. (laughs) But can I ask a question? Could you have, maybe you did this, just taken a walk and um, cleared your head? No, why not? I mean, I guess I could have physically. Yeah. I just Um, feel like... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not even good enough yet in those moments right. to calm myself down. Maybe it would have worked, you know, taking some deep breaths outside. But I, I find that sometimes in those moments, it's my time to be alone with my angry thoughts of like, yeah, then they did this and the injustice oh, and holy shit. Right. Uh, and then I possibly could have come back with an even bigger head of steam. But right. y- you know, a lot of still I under think you construction. Gotta, you got to deal with these aging issues a little bit. Well, it's yeah. interesting that you say that because I don't, I don't, I don't disagree at all. But it's just so fucking frustrating to roll right from whatever the other issues were before fifty, which were plentiful, and now like, oh yeah, and now there's this big thing to deal with. It's like I haven't even begun to to fight the other things. What's yeah, but this all big of life? That's the mean? Buddhist thing. Is life is pain? It's unease. It's it's all these things. Yeah. Fucking Buddhists. But wait, what is this big thing? You mean being well, the 50? fifty? The fifty, nifty fifty. Okay. Well, I mean, you're still the baby of this podcast, but I was yeah. like, I feel like you know, you had a party. Goldie had said it. All these people came out there for your party. There's this pressure on you 
to now be in this good mood because you understand that your mood is the thermometer of this event. Yes, well said. And so when you you are a moody person, and so you begin to become moody, and you right. realize it's under a microscope, and then you start to feel suffocated. And yeah, and then I spin. It's yes, right. That's and, JC. That's so well said. And um, yeah. and I wish Goldie because what you said was right too. It's like acknowledge, recognize that these people are. My friends who have come, you know, a long distance to say happy birthday, and that's a, ultimately a great thing. But you know, as a comedy writer, comic person that you are, you don't hear any of the good stuff. It's the bad thing that, that creeps through and, yeah. and becomes the headline in, 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 in your life. Everyone. So it, it's you're right. And God, I have to get better at that. Well, I'll tell you what, you look like a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> that's Goldie's inside joke. Oh, is it? You know, oh, we, we can't like, even, you do. You we do. don't have time to get into that now. But, <laughs> but outfit uh, was more expensive than you could imagine a man's outfit could be. <laughs> it was insane. Really? Insane. I, I, I'll just briefly say, I went to, I'm going to shop in this town, Falmouth, that's near us. And you think like, okay, it's a small town on Cape Cod. And I was given a few choices of stores to go to. I went to the first couple. They they didn't have much. And I went to the third. And I'm like, holy shit, this is like a fucking New York store in Falmouth. I'm like, oh, my God, I love these clothes. I love this blazer. I love oh, cool. these. Oh, look at these pocket squares. And oh, my God. <laughs> and so... I'm in there for like an hour getting fitted, trying things on, all this kind of shit. I get up to the cash register and I'm thinking in my mind like, okay, how much is this going to be? Like, uh, I guess, will it be 2000 Will it be, oh you know, this is, I bought a few things here. Will it be, it might even be over three, but okay, it's my 50th. <laughs> oh, I get the shit. bill. I'm embarrassed to say what it was on this podcast because it was so insanely and and, and when I, I talked to Goldie about this when it happened and he was guessing and I just kept giving my thumb up like oh. this with every guess oh and he's like god. oh my god like it kept going and we're, so, we're almost it was this outfit or a Toyota Yaris yeah basically <laughs> it's it's insane fully loaded fully loaded <laughs> Uh, so I, and I, of course, at, when, when I presented with the price, like maybe a normal person would have said like, wait a minute, what the fuck? And no way. But I was, I was fucking embarrassed. I was just like, okay, of course, that's fine. Gulp. Right. I understand that feeling. Yeah. They did look great. Uh, well, I have to wear them every day for the rest of my life in order for them to amortize. <laughs> well, I was going to, as a joke, just spill red wine all over you. Oh, as a joke. God. It was like the one time I was presented with a, a sip of uh, scotch from like 1938. Oh, wow. I, all I wanted to do was spill it. <laughs> <laughs> That's that rascal in you. Yeah. And of course, then now putting together the pieces, the added irony that that was the purchase for that specific night. And then given what happened, it was just like, oh, so I bought the, uh, I bought the Yaris for this night and then crashed it into a telephone pole. <laughs> just take it easy on yourself already and do some yes. Johnny jokes. Yeah. Oh, let's do them. Okay, let's introduce it a little better. <laughs> now it's time for Johnny jokes. <laughs> From Hollywood. Here's super expensive outfit, Johnny. <laughs> oh boy, I love I love that Johnny's is taking it easy on myself. This makes no, it even that's worse. The joke. Come oh. on, man. 
Get with it, man. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, (laughs) I I have a bunch this week. I have no idea what I'm going to do, so I'll just start doing them. Uh, Let's start off with a quickie. Well, uh, the big story is President Biden made a surprise trip to Kiev yesterday. Uh, Well, he was surprised anyway. (laughs) There will be overlap. (laughs) I figured you'd have something. You usually have the big stories. Uh, Okay, and here's a, I don't know if you've been following this, CNN anchor Don Lemon is in hot water this week after making an on-air comment that women reached their primes in their 20s and 30s. Yeah. Uh, the comments garnered anger from women's groups and millions of bit lips from men. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All That's right. Funny. What do we got here? Uh, okay. Oh, some sad news. 60s pinup girl Raquel Welch has passed away after a brief illness. He gone! <laughs> yeah, she gone. Uh, and in, in honor of his era's biggest sex symbol, President Biden has announced that all 70-something penises will remain at half-mast. Oh, I don't even know if that's possible. Yuck. Yucksville. Yet. And let's end with a shorty. Uh, the, here's uh, some uh, medical news. The ulcerative colitis drug, Rinvoke, now promises to visibly repair the lining of your colon. Goggles not included. (laughs) (laughs) Take it away, Johnny, too. Well done. Uh, Very, very well done. Okay. Well, a woman who was being held in captivity for a year escaped and fled to New Jersey. She then begged to be taken back into captivity. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yesterday, President Biden paid a surprise visit to the Ukraine, inspiring citizens of that battle-torn country that the world cares about their plight, and they are not alone. Uh, No one tell them he was only there because he took a wrong turn on the way to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) Good overlap. Archaeologists in Egypt discovered a 2,000-year-old dildo. (laughs) Yep. uh, It was buried in the bottom drawer of a mummy's nightstand. (laughs) That's great. I was trying to think of one for that. And I'll end on a norm. All right. Uh, An expose by a stewardess reveals airplane bathrooms are completely unsanitary, covered in fecal spray, and almost never cleaned. Bad news for the millions who are now realizing they actually joined the Mile Covered in Shit Club. <laughs> uh, 
what a great, closer. Good, good okay. crops. Oh, folks, listeners, we are incredibly excited today. We have a great guest from the writing yes. world. I mean, we've had guests before. You know, we talked Tom and Max and their, their resume and the shows are impressive. Our guest today... <laughs> They're dog written, shit compared to this. Dog oh. shit compared to, to who we have today. Absolute pile of steaming dog shit. No. And that is directed right at Tom We're and kidding, Max. of course. We're kidding, <laughs> yes. Some of us are sort of kidding. So our guest today uh, has written for one of our all-time favorite shows, The Larry Sanders Show, which is any comedy writer worth anything, that's right at the top of their list. Uh, he's an Emmy-winning writer on 30 Rock, Will and Grace, The Comeback, which is That's probably the most about. criminally underrated show in TV history. So let's just let's just bring him out. Mr. John Regi is with us. Hey, John, welcome. welcome. Hey also, guys, good morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. and you know, thr- shout out to Lou Louis Louis Schneider for introducing us. So really did appreciate he, that. Did, did Louis set this up? Yes, yes. Yeah. So introduce oh, me, John. That's great. Thank yes, you, Lou. Thank yeah, you. we got an email, or I got an email from Lou because uh, a couple of weeks ago I'd mentioned that public access show Stairway to Stardom from the New York area, and <laughs> yes. Lou wrote right away. He's like, "You have no idea how many hours I spent watching that show as a kid." So, well, this this elevates Lou out of the pile of dog shit I just put him in. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm just I glad mean, yes. that you you guys, you know, adhere to and and honor your contractual obligation that I made you say <laughs> that everyone else was a pile a pile of dog shit. <laughs> thank um, you. Thank you so for owning up. To that. Yeah, and, thank yeah. you for um, owning up to it. And can I just say one little thing about Louie that that it's kind yes. of, I don't how what are what are the limits of of decency in this None. nobody's oh. listening nobody's listening so, except lou you can talk right to him so this is this is one of like louis was one of my favorite people to watch do stand up because um he would he would literally sometimes get mad at audiences i don't know if he told you this or not but he would if he was bombing which sometimes would happen sure um he would literally look at them and say you know ladies and gentlemen it's not up to me anymore to prove myself to you. Now you people have to prove yourself to me. <laughs> but he had this joke where he uh, literally said, um, I don't, I wasn't out yet. I hadn't come out. And, but I think I might've like, I was always trying to like, I think drop hints and stuff like that or something. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, we were talking about gay porn <laughs> Sure, the most, that's a hint. That's yeah, a hint. that's a hint. <laughs> Have you seen one? Do you enjoy them on any level? Even just and so um I feel like I was the the uh the inspiration for this joke that he used to do, this bit that he used to do. He would say, you know, I watched a gay porn. And uh because I remember having this conversation with him, and he said, I said, Really, Lou? And he goes, and you, it was the Z channel in New York. Is that what it was? Anyway, he, there was a channel in New York that she's used to show like porny stuff that was on for like a hot second. And he allegedly had seen it. And I said, well, so you saw a gay porn? And he said, yes. And I, I said, how was it? And he said, it was okay up to a point, And then the entire story just fell apart. <laughs> and I said, what, what do you mean? I think I'm telling this correctly. And he said, and he said, because he goes, you know, these two construction guys walk in and they're like, you know, in this room and they're like, well, it's, yeah, good day on the construction site. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good day. Um, hey, you want a beer? And it's like, yeah, they're having a beer. And then one of them's like, whoa, it's really hot in here. Do you mind if I take my pants off? 
And uh, so the guy takes his pants off and then the other guy takes his pants off and they're kind of standing there, whatever. And the one guy looks at the other guy and says, you ever get your dick sucked? And the guy goes, yeah, once or twice. And Lou goes, and that's where it fell apart. And I said, what do you mean? And this is Louie's brilliant mind. And Louie said, if you had gotten your dick sucked that infrequently, you would know. Was it once or twice? <laughs> That's great. Well done, Lou. And I love Goldie and I are obsessed with uh, the gay the porn. Con- the, well, yes, <laughs> that that is a and B is the adversarial relationship between comics and the audience. We uh, yes. our late great friend Brody Stevens. I don't know if you know him, Goldie. Give us his opening line. I hate you first. <laughs> he used to come out on stage and say, no, no, I hate you first, which we always just loved. So way to go, Lou. Perfect. And we're glad that Lou brought you to us. Now, in in reading about you online and, and boy, digging into the University of Cincinnati school paper was a joy. I got to I got to tell you a wow. comprehensive interview you gave to them. Um, I, as I said before, we started don't have too many questions about Cincinnati, unfortunately. And you kind of agreed with me there. Yeah, um, we- but you mentioned something interesting in, in the interview, which is from your early life. Um, and you mentioned that when you were 12, that your mom took you on a trip to Italy and it changed your life. So I'm just interested, how, how did that trip change your life and what, what did it change about your life? Well, I think that, you know, uh, Cincinnati and, you know, it's not probably as nearly as provincial as it was when I was growing up there it, and I know it's not my one of my nieces still lives there and and I go see her every once in a while and it the city has definitely matured and turned into something else but when I was a kid it was a very conservative city it was a very very kind of a closed-minded community and um you know I went to Catholic school I was raised by nuns I I I was very I was a good Catholic boy which was nothing wrong with that but I just was like very closed and my life was Cincinnati, Ohio and and that environment and the world felt that big. And then when I was 12, my mom said we're going to Italy because my mother is was off the boat Italian lady and she had all this family in Italy right. and she really wanted to go see them. And so I went to the greater Cincinnati airport and got on an airplane and flew to New York and literally just doing that blew my mind. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Like I remember flying over New York and looking down at New York and going, how can it be that big? Oh, it's so great. Then going to Italy and landing in a place where no one's, I didn't speak Italian. My mother would, my mother would talk to myself and my sister in Italian and we would answer her in English. I had never put an Italian sentence together in my life, except for the Ave Maria, which I could say from beginning to end in Italian. And I, my mother taught it to me and then I would do it for the nuns. And I was, and when you can say the Ave Maria in Italian to a nun, yeah. You're basically Elvis. I mean, <laughs> right. the, the reaction you get is beyond belief. Right. I got to Italy and I didn't know anybody and I didn't know the language and I didn't know anything. And the first week I was there, we stayed for six weeks. Wow. And the first week I was there, I begged my mother for us to go home. I begged her. Her mom was still alive at the time. My grandmother was 
really old. I was terrified of her. And had you seen her before or no? Never. I hadn't seen any of them before. I didn't know any of them. Yeah. And my mother had six brothers, so I had a million cousins. And Overwhelming. And what it did was, but by the time we were getting ready to leave, I didn't want to go home. Because I had been to Rome and I started to see the Colosseum and I saw all this stuff that I had never see, seen before. And so basically the shorter answer is it took this it took this tiny little slice of the pie that I knew as my life and just expanded it in a way that I didn't realize. Like I didn't realize there was all that out there. And I still say, and I believe it to this day, if she hadn't done that, I would have I would have stayed in Cincinnati the rest of my life. No oh, doubt. Wow. No doubt. Cincinnati, it's, I mean, from what I've heard, like the impression is, oh, it's a city. But I, I've also heard it's more Kentucky than Ohio. Like it's almost deep south. Is that the case? Or Well, it, it definitely has a very southern, it has a southernish feel to it because Kentucky is right across the river. Yeah. Um, but I think that, like I said, I think it's probably more kind of coming to its own now. Like, you know, Procter & Gamble's national headquarters are there or international headquarters or whatever the hell they are. And it has like, it is a pretty, like now a, a pretty decent uh, art museum and a really well-known ballet company. And, and there's a lot of things about it that are very much kind of cosmopolitan, but I grew up on the West side and, you know, we were like, I grew up on West side in, in Sailor Park. And they used to call us river rats because I was right by this, the Ohio River. That's where Sailor Park was. Right. And it was very, it, I'm not going to lie to you guys, it was kind of Andy Griffith. I mean, it really was sort of like that. Like, you know, yeah. we used to go drown to the river and like fish, which I wasn't supposed to go down to the wet river. <laughs> and like we lived near, I mean, this is horrifying and terrible, but we lived, we lived very close to a Monsanto plant. Oh, oh wow. we used to call it stinky Monsanto because it, <laughs> some days you, it would smell horrible and we'd be like, oh, it's stinky Monsanto. And like, <laughs> we're not going, what the hell are we breathing? But like right. nobody even thought about that then. Right. Oh, my God. And I don't want to I, I don't want to give it the perception that it's not a perfectly nice city. It is. But it is my hometown. And it's I mean, all I can say is all I could think about was I, I wanted to leave. I watched the Carol. I used to watch the Carol Burnett show. Yeah. They would say from television city in Hollywood. And I would in my brain go, God, there's a television city. (laughs) (laughs) And then and then how disappointing was it? And then I saw the television city. This is it. it. It's like Cincinnati without the ballet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, we have a lot of writers rooms to talk about because that stuff is always so interesting. But. You started as a stand-up. Now, how old were you when you started doing it, and what what brought you there? Like, did you did you, were you just told that uh, were you a class clown? Did you kind of love writing down observational comedy? Like, how did you get into that at first? Well, I the way I got into it, I was not a class clown. I was really good. Like, seriously, I was like a good boy in school. Like, the nuns really did love me, and like, they <laughs> yeah. loved my mom and. My mom had a delicatessen that I worked in in the summertime and at like a, at Christmas time at my elementary school, we sold Christmas cards to make money and my mother would take like just crates of these Christmas cards and sell them and we we were we were loved. So I was never ever ever bad in school. But right. I could make people laugh and I really think honestly uh my mom was I mean if we're really going to go deep into it, my mom 
my mom and dad got divorced when I was fairly young and my mom hooked up with this other Italian guy that was who was kind of a bully and not a great guy and they opened a business together and so he used to come over uh during the week he'd drive her home and he'd stay and have dinner at the house and he was a very volatile dude and so I never knew what to expect when he walked in the door yeah so I kind of developed my kind of like dog and pony show and amazing shiny and but then I realized that I could make people laugh and stuff like that. So I I was aware of it and I was aware that my friends thought I was funny. And yeah. Uh, and then the way I got into it was my friend Katie, who I still know, uh, called me one time and said, there is a club just opened. We went on Friday night. A bunch of a bunch of friends went out to this club um, and it's right across the street from UC on Calhoun Street. And it's called DUI. Yeah, and um, that's they, hilarious. That's yeah. a hilarious name. Is <laughs> yeah. drunk driving? I, I, I actually was. D, I guess I should say it was DWI. Oh, okay. but, but close enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I'm ready to uh, laugh. Yeah, and it was. Uh, and she goes, and I. We went there with a bunch of bunch of us, and she goes, and honestly, she goes, I, uh, I don't think anybody we saw was funnier than you at her party, and we. I think you should go. They said they have open auditions. Wow, how old are you? And, I had, I was late. This was like, I was like 20. I was out of school for sure. Amazing. I guess I must've been in my mid twenties because I had lost my job. I remember that yes. my real job and I wasn't working. And then I started doing this as kind of like a little, just a fun thing to do while I was collecting unemployment and figuring out what the hell I was going to do next. Wow. So, so I went, so I called and they said, yeah, can you come to a meeting on when we have Wednesday nights, we have meetings at five 30. Can you God, the comedy, comedy used to club be so, has meetings. So organized. DWI. I love it. It's such a big <laughs> deal. We got to lay out what we're going to do. Okay, item one, make the audience laugh, guys. <laughs> this is why we're here. Well, they would, so there was a guy who ran it named Roger Naylor. Who, he kind of ran it, and so he would go, okay, so wait. And he'd go through it and say, Mike, you had a really good week, week and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm kind of sitting there, and he said, this is John. Uh, John's uh, going to join us. And they were like, okay. okay. And, and, uh, and then literally he said, okay, why don't you jump up on stage and show us what you got? Oh, what do you have? Well, he had said, you need to have five minutes of material ready. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay. And I don't even, I honestly, I would tell you, but I can't even remember what it was. Oh, darn. Yeah. And, um, and I went up and I did it and they were very kind and just laughed where they knew they were supposed to. Oh, that's nice. Um, <laughs> and then they started giving me spots there and I started doing, and it was, it was on the weekends and it was a college crowd. And some nights it could be really hot and great. And some nights it would be death. And, um, <laughs> and it was death a lot of nights for me. But what was great about it was a lot of comics coming through, especially then were, would come there. So and a lot of comics from Chicago would come down. So like Emo would be there and Judy yeah. Tenuta would be there. And so we get these people that for us were like, wow, they really know what they're doing. Like we're idiots. Yes. They, they, and so you kind of learn from them. Like Will Durst, I don't even know why Will Durst was there, but Will Durst from San Francisco came through and stayed and had like a, I think he might've been doing a play or something, but he was, he stayed for like six weeks. Oh, wow. Wow. He had a residency there. Yeah, he had a residency at DWI. <laughs> and uh, and so it was like people like that. And that's how 
that's how it started. But I was like, I was always trying to find my own version of it because everybody was kind of, I don't know. I was just trying to find my voice and I had a really rough time doing it. And I remember that um, I always, when people ask me what it was like, I always say there was, they would pay us $2 and you'd get two bucks and a beer for your set. Oh, wow. That's and more so than, more than you get now. Yeah. More than we ever made. <laughs> I would get my $2 and quarters. Wow. And we had a missile command. There was yes. a missile command ah, uh, yes. thing, a game in the, in the bar. Game. And I would go up on stage and I would fucking bomb. <laughs> and I would get my $2 and quarters and I would put a quarter in and the missiles would start coming down like this. <laughs> And it would flash defend cities, and I would just sit there and drink my beer, <laughs> and watch the world blow up, and then I put Get another bombed. quarter in. <laughs> You're bombing on stage, yeah. bombing, off, bombing stage. off stage. That's great. I was, That's at least great. I was consistent. Yeah. <laughs> Alec, that just made me have a memory of Gladys's comedy room, the Touchmatic machine by the bar. We would do the exact same thing. They had a yep. basketball touchmatic thing and i now remember i had forgotten about I totally until this that. exact moment <laughs> yeah that well, we would it, do it, the same thing it's amazing so many parts of your story i feel like certainly resonated with me and probably with goldie too uh it's just interesting how similar um a path to becoming a writer can be because even you talk about my parents were divorced early i created a whole dog and pony show to make my mom laugh all the time right and then mid-20s, fired from a job, collecting unemployment. What the fuck am I going to do? Do stand-up, terrible place, bombing a lot, wow, yeah. video game outside. And then it's <laughs> like, thank God we became writers. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And now, I, now I'm obviously skipping over a lot here, but something that absolutely leapt off the page at me when I was reading um, one of your interviews was that you opened for Diana Ross in Vegas. Wow. <laughs> and now... And and it, I found what you said about that very interesting because it seemed to teach you a lesson about audience expectations. So can, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like and, w and what it taught you about audiences? Right. Well, I was obviously, first of all, really excited because I was like, oh, my gosh, because friends of mine friends of mine were opening for big acts like that. And it was like, you can, you know, if they like you, they'll bring you on and you can make a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So. My, what had happened to my standup, my standup sort of became kind of narrative. Like I was always interested in a story. So, right. and I don't want to say it's that I was doing the same thing like that Gary Shandling was doing, but Gary was like one of my, for sure, one of my influences. Like I liked the idea of a longer story right. that had weird parts in it and funny moments. So I get to Vegas and I'm opening for Miss Ross <laughs> and, you still have uh, to call her that. Yes. <laughs> and I just go out the first night and I just fucking bomb. Like I just bomb. Yeah. But I noticed that the actual the actual kernel of the joke that that I had, the actual punt setup and joke, that part of it, they would laugh. Yeah. And after like the second night or something like that, I would Second or third night, I finally was like, okay, I have to strip out all the rest of this shit, basically. <laughs> yeah. At least they think it is. Yeah. And just get to the fucking jokes. Just do the jokes, do the jokes, do the jokes. And so that's what I did. And then once I learned that, I was okay. And I did fine. And 
and it was fine. Like I did well, I would say I opened fine and it was great, but it wasn't what I wanted. Like it wasn't what I wanted. Like I was, my thing with the audience was always like, I wanted to, I wanted to feel them more. I wanted to, I wanted to have more of a give and take with them and and see what it felt like and, and push something out really far and see how far I could push the board out before it tipped over. Like I just was always interested in that. And that was sort of more compelling for me. Right. So it wound up not being, it did not go down the road of like, Oh, now I'm opening for Miss Ross in 35 cities. That did not happen. I was there for, I think I opened for, for, I think it was a two week thing. I want to say, right. Um, never saw her, never saw her, <laughs> never spoke to her. Um, but it was, uh, her dresser said to me the second night I was on, she came down and said, John, you know, I got to tell you something. Miss Ross normally doesn't listen to the opening act, but she, when she, once you started, she told me to leave it on Ooh. so that she could hear it. And she goes, and I'm going to tell you something. She was laughing so hard that I couldn't put the glitter on her. <laughs> That's <Bravo>. great. <laughs> That's and almost a good, nice sip afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I made that... you laugh, so now I can nourish myself. <laughs> That's right. That's a good uh, pun- punctuation with the sip. So that's hilarious. And now I, I watched um, – uh, a set of yours from 1986, and and this prompts perhaps my most important question of the interview: Do you still believe in crystal light? Because <laughs> it believes in me. Oh yeah, I do. Yes. Yeah. That was Wait, when, when, when I, I laughed very hard when you said that, and I feel like we've said that on the podcast like within the last month. Like there was some. Yeah, because little... I was in a I was in a crystal light commercial, but was cut out. And so that's where I was, I was shot it out here in LA and I was edited out. God, those catchy theme songs like live forever in our minds. So me too. too. That, that was very, you know, another big influence for me was like, I, like, I think David Letterman was a big influence for me too. And so like the absurdity of stuff, at least to me, the absurdity of stuff is always like I used to do a soup medley. I would sing. I would say, "Here's here's four songs that have that are about soup." Right. <laughs> and I would just sing them. <laughs> this is not building a good set, by the way. I just <laughs> make that very clear to anyone. If you're trying to learn, I would not say do the soup medley is the first thing out of my but mouth. But it was then, I think, because <laughs> that was a shared reference that everyone would that. know. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now, I think, I think people are wandering into a landscape where those things are so rare. Everyone's siloed off from each other, and no one's going to get the big reference to the thing, you know. Right. So yeah. I don't know. It's true. I, I think that's why every act now, in some sense, relies on the person bringing their background and of of their heritage, their sexuality, whatever it is about them, and then going in through that prism and trying to go outward rather than going outward to the big thing, going inward. That's just a point. Yeah. I think that's very true. I think that's really true, though. I mean, I, 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 when I was thinking about coming to talk to you guys, I was like, it really has, stand-up has shifted and changed so much that yeah. because we don't have big cultural references anymore that we all saw because everything is so compartmentalized and fractured off and siloed off. And I mean, you know, as we all know, I know this is not a new thought, like 
you go to a party and people talk about nine and I write television and people talk about nine shows that I've never yeah. heard of in my life. I know. I, I, I think this is why someone like Dave Chappelle just keeps picking the scab on the trans thing because it's something that everyone gets. It's, it's one of the few things left that people will go, I have some opinion. I don't think he should do that, but I do wonder if that's why he does it because or else what the fuck are you going to talk about that like you then have to go to these political things right and and go well half of them are going to be with me and half of them are going to hate me and i'm going to kind of sit in the middle as this wise person like truth telling which i hate by the way that's my (laughs) least favorite kind of stand-up but at least it's something that everyone you don't have to explain it yeah that's totally true um so now we get into where, where the, the writing starts to begin. And you had, you'll have to categorize it for me. I don't know if it was a chance encounter or just a comics encounter with Dennis Miller in Chicago at the Improv. And that, it, it, to my understanding, that was sort of the, the spark that, that got you really into the writing world. Is that correct? That's very true. I mean, he had a big hand in it um i was working at the chicago improv i was the opening act and dennis came in for the week and um and i was very intimidated and hardly spoke to him at all and i remember that he used to go up on stage and uh there was a plant like a like a yucca plant or some kind of a just a big stalk with some leaves on the thing that they funny, stuck name. Up there. funny name and uh <laughs> and he would kind of, you know, fumfer around a little bit and kind of land on stage. And and he'd he'd be like, yeah, it's great to be in Chicago. (laughs) Um, And then he'd be, and then he'd go, and then he'd look at the plant and go, it's a beautiful example of the local flora here. (laughs) So after like the third day, he's, we were at the bar afterwards and he was and he started to talk to me a little bit and he liked my act and he seemed to like me and uh and i said but the way he started talking to me he's like how's it going rage and i was like oh you know good and um and i just couldn't not say it and i said hey dennis can i say something i'm not trying to be an asshole and he's like what and i said you know um, you know, when you go up and you do this, because he did the thing about the plant every night, because yeah. <laughs> it always got a laugh. And I said, uh, you know, when you do the thing about the plant and, uh, he goes, uh, yeah. And I said, um, it's flora, not fauna. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying local fauna and fauna are animals and flora is plants. And he's like, are you sure? And I, was like, yeah. I was like, I was a biology major. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, and I remember he laughed and he goes, Rach, I don't pretend to know what half these fucking references I said. <laughs> That's great. And so then we were kind of like, and then he was like, why are you, why are you still in Chicago? Why don't you come to LA? And I really didn't want to, because I was very happy in Chicago, but I made a trip out there. And I was also friendly, friendly with Rob Schneider at the time. And so I wound up going out there and they introduced me to a lot of people. And then that's, that's amazing. really how it happened. And then he got, were you asking about writing, right? So then he, yeah. he had gotten, he got a, he said at the Chicago Improv, he's like, you know, I might be getting my own talk show. And if I got a talk show, would you ever consider coming out and writing for me? And I was like, yeah. And this had happened 
this conversation had happened two or three times before where some name would come through and be like, you know, I'm going to be doing this thing and I'm looking for writers. What do you right. think about that? Give me your yeah. number. And then nothing, never hear from him again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So, but then he literally gave me his number. He's like, call me. He's like, call me and come out. Wow. And so I did. And he was like, yeah, come on out. Let's, let's do this. I'll, you know, whatever. And the show hadn't happened yet, but um, I went out there and I met people and, and I wound up getting on a, young comedians uh special like those young comedian specials they used to do an audition for that at the improv right and then i met some people from brillstein gray and ray rio who used to be my manager and then i and they were like you really should come like you really should think about moving here and then i did how many years in were you at that point in the stand-up i was probably uh at least eight or nine okay so you've been I mean, had you been making a living solely as a stand-up to that point? Yeah, I had been making jobs? a living. I had been traveling. I was like a road warrior comic, and I was going all over the place. And um, I really wanted to stop doing that. I was really tired of the road. Yeah. I worked a lot, but I didn't work in a lot. I also didn't work in a lot of places. Like, this was a, a, a true story also that the Funny Bone uh, comedy club chain, uh, my friend Maureen used to book the rooms, and right. she showed me and told me, that there was a line that they would, they had draw, they had dripped, hit all their clubs on a map of the United States. And allegedly there was a line drawn across the center of the United States and they called it the Regi line because there were certain <laughs> people that could not work south of that line. <laughs> I was, the, the line was named after me because I, like, I worked in a couple southern places and it was not good. So. <laughs> that's so funny because in the in the set that i watched uh on youtube of you you came out like a house on fire about alabama like and, and i wonder like could you tell you couldn't even tell that those jokes today oh no no yeah but i hated it i hated yeah. it so much and i hated how i just couldn't turns out you were right by the way i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> understand the the lack of I guess I was kind of like, okay, if you don't think it's funny, I'll I'll respect that. But you don't even know what I'm talking about, and right. that's me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I loved your line in that in that joke where you said maybe we should just pave it all over, yeah, <laughs> like just just paving over a whole I state. I was really I was really pretty angry. <laughs> and making it making putting a patio door on the edge of Georgia patio. so we yeah. could just uh, go yeah. out and uh, lay out in the sun in Alabama. That was. <laughs> Very funny. Um, now, it that just still it, works. Yeah, it, it does. It, it's very funny. So, to hang on, Dennis Miller, for for a minute, because I, I there was another interesting nugget in in this interview, where um, now I guess you're out in L.A. You're you had either worked with Dennis Miller or you were just friendly with him, and one day he went with you to go look at like either a house or an apartment. And at this point, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you're out, you're a gay writer. But at this point, you weren't really out. And it seemed like from this interview that you had a difficult time navigating how to come out, when to come out, to whom to come out to. And there was this moment with Dennis Miller that kind of exemplified that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is this the bike pants thing? Well, it was it, I th in the in the interview. It was something about a shirt, but I think it's the same kind of feeling. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it might have been bike pants, but I remember. Yeah. Yes, he. We were going to rent this apartment. Why? You know, you reminding me of this because I do remember him walking up those steps behind me. Yes. 
<laughs> and we were going to rent this guest house in Silver Lake, myself and my boyfriend and my friend Jack, who was living, who always lived with lived with us forever. Yeah. Um, so the three of us were going to rent this guest house that was in the back of this apartment building on Waverly Drive over in. Um, That's not far from me. I know. Right I know it. I yeah. know. Yeah. Right down from where the LeBanc, LaBianca's got killed by yep. the Morgan family. Yeah. So yeah. Um, local fave spot. Yeah. So. He was walking up the steps with me, and I, I'm sure it was the bike pant. I was wearing these bike shorts to work, which was not you – know, I, I literally had bike shorts on and, like, Doc Martens. Yeah, as you said, you were dropping hints. Yeah, I was dropping hints. And, and he was like, Rach, what's going on with the shorts today or something like that? And I was like, oh, nothing. It's just a warm day, and I just thought I – because it was like I was dropping – Hints, but then as soon as anyone noticed one, I'd immediately backtrack and be like, nothing. Right. <laughs> it's totally warm. Right. So um, he, and I remember he said, Rach, you're not going fag on me, are you? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, right. yeah, that was the part. That was and the I part. And I was like, no, no, yeah. I'm not. That's, it's so interesting. And, and I guess that leads to a follow-up question is, because now you've been an incredibly successful writer on fantastic shows for years and years, including shows that have, you know, gay themes that come back and will and grace and things like that. Um, so what, what do you think has been the big shift in thankfully in attitudes? Because I think you, you have this idea in your mind, like, Oh, gay writer goes to Hollywood. That's not a headline for people outside of Hollywood. Right. You'd think right. like, Oh, that's the place where they'd, they'd be most comfortable, but it really wasn't a comfortable journey for you. So at what point did it become comfortable? I think it became, I think it became, before I say that, I'm going to say this because it's in my brain. It's one of the real um, regrets that I have that one of the reasons I stopped doing stand up was because I didn't feel like I could be my true self on stage. Yeah. And it was very, very, that was very, very difficult for me. And, and I felt like a phony. I felt, and I was a phony. I felt like a phony going up and talking about some girl I had dated or some thing. And not that it needed to be all about my sex life. That's not what I'm saying. But when you are, when you literally have this part of yourself that you, it's not that you necessarily want to showcase it, but you can't even touch on it. You can't right. even, you think you yeah. can't even mention it. Right. Because you're going to taint the entire experience and make people feel uncomfortable. It, it just, it, it stand up just started to, it's like the air just started to go out of the balloon. And yeah. it yeah. was so sad for me. Right. But I think what has changed or what does change and, it's not a great thing to hear if this hasn't happened to a person, but I just think it's, you have to own it and you have to, like, I think we as gay people, as people who are LGBTQ plus have to uh, kind of allow ourselves to be who we are and tell people, this is who I am and I'm not dangerous and I'm not going to scare you. And I'm just a person like you are. And the only thing different than for me than you is my sexuality. And that's, one tiny little part of who I am. Yeah. And just like, I don't 
meet you when you're straight and just think about you constantly with your wife or with your husband doing whatever it is you're doing. Right. That's, I see that you have a job and a life and you sometimes you drive places and you're not having sex and you're not going to the grocery store and you're not taking your pants off. Um, and it's it's the same thing here. And it's like, it's it's kind of, first of all, owning it, you have to, you have to be comfortable with it yourself and right. in order to make other people start to feel like they they need to see this for what it really is and then it's just um putting it into its into perspective on in your life and not you know like i i'm so much happier and obviously and and better off in this situation because i feel like as a you know as a queer dude i can just be walk around and go oh but he's like a normal guy because i am a normal guy you know yeah, what i mean yes. but it's like when you when you're carrying it with, it's like when I came out to my, when I came out to my mother, it was like, my mother was from Italy, dude. And it was like, <laughs> I didn't know how I was going to tell her. I had no. no fucking idea. And it was, and I literally had to build myself for a trap. I made her come out for Christmas one year and we had always had roommates, David, my husband and I, we'd always had roommates. So every time she came out to visit it was always easy to say, oh, well, David and I will sleep in there and you can have this spare bedroom because right. we have five people living in <laughs> right. a three-bedroom apartment. But we bought a house and it was a three-bedroom house. And I made her come out because I was like, I am going to make it so that I don't have a lie yeah. to stand behind. Right. And, and that was the beginning of it, really, I think. Did and she did... know on some level? I mean, or was she completely blown out of the water? Or do you think she knew, but then acted like she was completely blown out? She of the water? did not know. She came out. I will tell you really quickly. It's a very sweet story. God bless her. <laughs> she came out and, and I was living in Castaic out by Magic Mountain. That's the house I could afford at the time. So we bought this Kaufman and Broad house that was in a, a development where they literally sprayed your lawn on in the front and they <laughs> right. planted a magnolia tree that was about this big. And that was your house. And the backyard was dirt, but it was a brand new house. And for me, it was like, I have arrived. So yes. I invited her out and my, and I brought her in the house, picked her up at LAX and I took her through the house and I was like, oh, this is this. And my mom was, and my mom was a little tiny. And she's just like, oh, this is nice. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, mom, this is the upstairs. This is a bedroom. This is like the loft part. She's like, oh, this is pretty. You can see the whole house in here. <laughs> and, um, and so finally I go through, um, I go, and this is the bedroom right here. And she's like, oh, you know, and this had a little deck off of it. And then I go, and then this is another bedroom, but this is my office. And, and she said, hmm, hmm. And I go, and then this is another bedroom that is now David's office. And she goes, oh. And so I go, so that's the house. And she looked at me and said, so where does David sleep? <laughs> right. And I took a giant deep breath. And every time oh. I tell the story, I feel like I'm saying it again. <laughs> I took a giant deep breath and I said, um, he sleeps in here with me and my mother said you mean to tell me that you and david sleep together and i said yeah ma i do and then she said so you mean to tell me that you like to sleep with men instead of women 
And I said, uh, yeah. And then I swear we stood each and just looked at each other. It was like two gunslingers in the OK Corral. <laughs> like we were both just looking at each other, like who was going to make the next move. And I, and then I said, this is all true. My hand to God, this is all like, word for word. True. And I, then I looked at her and I said, ma, are you okay? Cause she said nothing. And she looked at me and said, I got to put the tortellini in the freezer. <laughs> That's even a funny pasta. How do you not take a sip now? You've totally earned it. Good God. If anyone ever deserved a sip. There it is. That is amazing. Oh, God. God, God bless moms. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah. But that was like, that was my first step to owning it and then realizing it was okay. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just, I just know it's, it's, everybody's got to figure it out, but right. you have to, I know you have to know it's okay in your heart. Right. First. Yeah. And do oh, you that's feel an amazing like, story. Do you feel Go because ahead, you felt like you could be authentic that your career also turned for the better? because of that. Oh yeah, because then you then everything that you are, you can bring into the room. Everything. You're not like packing something away before you walk in and being cautious about what you say and trying not because that to me shrinks down your creativity so much. Oh, yeah. You're so concerned about yourself or what you're going to say or you know what I remember one time on on Sanders we were we had gone out to uh, get coffee, and I was with Carol Leifer, who, by the way, was not out at the time either. And we had got my friend Kevin Rooney, God bless his soul. Um, Kevin was working on another show, also on Radford, and we had gone over to Starbucks to get a coffee. And while we were at Starbucks, the this um, person had come down with a big, giant golden retriever, and the dog came over to me, and I was like, "Hey, buddy!" And I started petting it, and it was like jumping all over me and I was whatever and and Rooney said Reggie I forgot you're a big dog person and I said yeah I am and then Carol said and she was like Reggie do you have a dog and I said yeah I have a she's like an Irish setter mix and she said really and she goes so who watches it when you're at work oh. yep. and I just and it just came out of my mouth and I went oh I have a roommate wow yeah and 
there's no good way to repair that after you've said it. Like yes. you, there's no elegant way to say, Hey, you guys remember when you were talking about the thing and you asked me to watch my dog. And I said, I, have, <laughs> I meant to say, I have a lover. So you're right. It's so freeing to be able to, as you say, bring all of yourself into a writer's room, which is a, a good, a good segue. segue because you've been in some amazing writer's rooms, uh, over the years. Um, do you feel like are they all just jobs or do some of them hold special places in your heart? Some of them were jobs for sure, but I've tried really hard to not pick the ones that were just going to be jobs. I tried to pick the ones that were going to be special in my heart. And yes. sometimes too, sometimes my, my agents and stuff were, were going, don't take like 30 rock. Like my agents were like, you know, you you want to go on Ugly Betty because Ugly Betty came out that same year, and oh, they my. really wanted me. Great move, agents. Yeah, <laughs> Sylvia really wanted me to do it, and I. But I was just like, I saw the Thirty Rock pilot, and I was like, I. And it was only going to be thirteen episodes, and I went home to David, and I said, I have to go to New York for this, but it's just going to be thirteen and out because everybody was talking about Studio Fifty. That I don't oh, think yeah. Aaron yeah, Sorkin yeah. yeah. sixty. Sixty yeah. go up. <laughs> and go up and and. Uh, and that was going to be the big show. Like everybody was putting all their chips on that show. Yeah. And I said to David, I was like, it's just going to be 13 episodes. And I go to New York and I was like, honestly, I said, I was like, Dob, it's just, it's as close as I'm ever going to get to working on SNL. Oh. And I really like to do it. And he's like, okay, if you want to do it, then go. I think uh, all of us dream of the moment we get to tell our spouse we have to go to New York for three months. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Very relatable. Very relatable. Um now, in reading about, uh, first of all, your your route to the Larry Sanders show, Writers Room, was kind of, wasn't exactly a straight line. Um, you had sort of an interesting way in there where I believe you were auditioning to be a character on the show, and then that somehow turned into you becoming a writer on the show. But the the most interesting I, uh, thing I read about that was that you uh, said that uh, Gary Shandling told you guys basically how to write that show because there's a sitcom world is very traditional setup punch setup punch act break as we talked about earlier show blow that kind of stuff but uh gary had a different way of getting into the comedy can you talk about that a little bit because i found that so interesting yeah he would tell us uh i remember him saying that we did we weren't writing jokes on Larry Sanders that we you know obviously sometimes there were jokes but when the jokes when a character told a joke or said a joke the character knew that they were saying a joke as opposed to a sitcom where they don't right Gary would Gary would always tell us we're writing about human behavior that's what he would mm. say and he would say and what you need to do is study the human behavior and then find the comedy in the behavior because people are inherently funny if you watch them in what they do and how they hide something and oh. trying not to tell the truth and wanting to get something out of you but do not, are not going to be honest enough just say they want it right. um so they they go down these very very uh long you know elaborate paths to get what they want and that is a funny move on a part of a human being and that's what we're after that's what we're trying to do that's what we're trying to find that's where we're going to build the scenes and that's what we're going to write about. And so well, that's you, what he was always pushing. And you, you guys did that so well. And yeah. and 
What what stands out to me, obviously, and you described it in this interview, of the, the triad of of Larry and Hank and Artie, and those were those three were kind of driving almost every story. But what's interesting to me is Hank and Artie, uh, Jeffrey Tambor, and the late great Rip Torn. Their characters were a little bit elevated, a little bit, you know, a little off the ground in terms of their reality because they were so like what they were. Hank was, you know, a, a crazy character and, and Artie was a sort of, you know, uh, grizzled producer. But L- Larry, Gary, what seemed so close to himself, like I can't claim to have known the man, but what you say about find what's funny about human behavior and write the comedy from that he, to me, what's so great about that sh- show is that it feels like he bears his soul and he shows you warts and all, like who he is, and it's so funny. And I'm wondering, when you guys were coming up with stories or jokes or, you know, different things about the episode, was he ever like, oh, God, that that makes me so uncomfortable that I'm like that, I can't do it? Um, I don't think he would ever I don't think he ever went as far as saying I can't do it but I know that he like we all did struggled with any anything in your life was kind of fodder for that show yes. like there was an episode where um when Scott Thompson came on as Hank's assistant yes. he got a phone call from his boyfriend in front of Hank and that was based on me Gary wow. David had called me one day and was like it's urgent and I was in with Gary and they were like, it's urgent. And, and it, as it turns out, it wasn't urgent. <laughs> um, and I was very upset with David on the for so many reasons, um, not the least of which was when we worked, we worked. And that show was my life. And yeah. so, like, we used that. So, but the thing was, is they were all very much, what Gary was great at doing was, you know, Jeff, I won't say that Jeff was Hank, but Jeff had so many of Hank's, insecurities about his act like he would literally walk up to you after a take and go how was that (laughs) by the way it was great always great yeah he literally would and 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 rip was incredibly volatile and and you never knew what might set him off and gary would just write to that and we would all learn how to write to that and gary was like i i think gary's thing was he thought that he was going to be a very, very, like maybe he'd be able to take over the Tonight Show from Johnny. You know what I mean? Yeah, he could have. And, and he could have. Yeah. But he wanted that. You know what I mean? Like he wanted the Tonight Show because what happened with the Dennis Miller show was the Dennis Miller show was initially set up for Gary to take over. To oh. to be the, it was going to be the Gary Shandling talk show. Wow. And and, and uh, Brad Gray had negotiated and put it all together and at the end, Gary was like, I don't want to do a syndicated talk show. I want to do The Tonight Show. Yeah. And so Gary dropped out and they gave it to Dennis Miller, which was yeah. a disaster. But that's what. <laughs> right. Can you talk a little bit about Jeffrey Tambor, just because he's one of my idols and like just writing for someone like that? I mean, you did a little bit, but literally anything you can tell me about Jeffrey Tambor, I'm an audience for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was really, really, really amazing and he was just such a funny guy. And I don't know, I, they were all three, like I can remember watching them. And after, after we do takes, just seeing them like come together and talk about what had just happened 
and Gary would lead it, but they would, they, they all through three kind of knew each other's rhythms and stuff like that, that it was just very, uh, it was very awe inspiring to be in, in front of them. And Jeff was just, he's just funny, weird, you know, slightly insecure, really, really um, a pretty kind man. I don't know. He's, he was great. That's awesome. That that one an episode that always stands out for me is the one where uh, Larry either had bad yogurt or hit his head or something, and Hank has to host oh, yeah. for the for the night. And it that episode is so it, there's something so true about it, and there's something so hilarious about it. You watching Hank go from terrified to getting, you know, and, and then even even Larry watching at home and saying, oh, he just got his first big applause break and just watching it all go to his head and then fall apart so quickly. It was, it would, that was so great. Yeah. Just of, of the many episodes that I love, that one is uh, front and center for sure. So, I mean, obviously we could talk about Larry Sanders for a further hour. I mean, I think it's, one of the, if not the greatest sitcoms of all time. But let's move on for a second here to something that might not be on that list. And I was surprised to see Family Guy is in your credits. So yeah. what, what, when was that? It must have been early on in the show. And, and what was that experience like for you? And keep in mind, we weren't there. And so we don't care. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Were you in the room? Yes, I was in the yes. room. Okay. I was there right at the very, 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 very beginning. Okay. And uh, what was, I was at 20th in a development deal and they had just gotten Seth to do, they had just found Seth and wanted Family Guy and Family Guy was being developed. And I was there, so I was there right at the very beginning. Right. And, um, you know, I, for me right away, like I knew that, like I could tell that Seth was really talented, obviously, and come up with this world and, done this whole thing. But I also remember that two things about it was one was they 20th did not think uh, or didn't have a whole lot of faith in Seth as a showrunner because he'd never done it before. He was, right. he was, yeah. he was like from Rhode Island or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and so they had brought someone in to run it with him. And that guy whose name I can't remember. Dave Zuckerman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What, was really bad was Seth would go away and have to go like look at animation and stuff. He would be gone doing like animated stuff. Yeah. And he would say, I like this and this and this. And then that Dave would run the room and we disassemble all of it. Wow. And basically do Dave's agenda. And I, I don't want to say what I think was going on, but I have my thoughts about what was going on. Well, we all know it went to 4 a.m. Like, we've heard these stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, here's the other yeah. thing, too. I wouldn't stay. Like, I was just like, I'm leaving at 7, guys. I'm not staying. Yeah, so I never crazy. stayed there for dinner. I never did any of that. And it was it was a pretty volatile world when I was there because, because of that. Because yes. I think Dave had a very specific way that he thought the show should be. And then Seth had an entirely different version of it. Right. And the writers were kind of stuck in the middle trying to like serve two different people who seemed to want two different things. So it's it, still that way. 
<laughs> no, it is not. Um, it was really, really difficult. It was really, really difficult at the time, and and I felt bad because the only thing I was saying to like you know, not that anybody at twenty was asking me, but if it, it occasionally did come up, I would just always be like, it seems to me that Seth has a really clear idea what he wants the show to be. Like, I don't understand yeah. why you've got somebody else in there when he. It's not like he's going, oh, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. It's like, yeah. no, he, he, knows he knows what this is. Yeah. You bought it from him. Just let him make the show. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I kind of thought it was that. Yeah. But I kind of, you know, the show was also, I mean, being 100% honest, I appreciate the show and I like the show, but it's not, it's really not my flavor. So Same. I yeah, I, I, I don't really um, I don't I didn't really find it Resonate. for me to be the thing that would be like my first choice is like as far as a something sure. I would be wanting to work on at the time, because I just was like, it's just not my thing. But I but I thought that it was 100. What The thing that I kept saying was and that I always look for in anything was I just want the person to know what they want so that I can try to facilitate and be additive. Yeah, do you put Seth it so did. well? And Seth always Seth was so clear about what he fucking wanted. Yeah. That this putting this other person in, and it was also probably at the end of the day unfair to Dave because he's in there going, Well, this is what I think it is. And right. yeah. when he has brought me in here to facilitate, so yeah, I, I guess I should speak up. Anyway, it was it was kind of a mess. Yeah. Did you stay the whole first season? No, I stayed, I didn't stay very long at all. I was only there for maybe about half of the season. And then something happened. Either either I pitched something for development for 20th. I think that might've been what it was. And then they were like, yeah, go write that script, which of course then went into the flaming pile of never to be seen again. But the good news is they managed to develop all the, this great stuff that remains on the air to this day. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Well, yeah. and also let's, let's not weep for David Zuckerman who has his name as developed by on the show. So still makes tons of money off yeah, of our exactly. sweat. Um, but okay. So that's an interesting experience. And now we we've kept you here for quite a while. So, I'd, let's just stipulate to the fact that 30 Rock was amazing, a wonderful unicorn of an experience, and the people there, I'm sure, were hilarious, and you started to rake in Emmys, which must be, you know, as Goldie says, must be nice. Yes, um, but I really want to talk about it, and I know Goldie does too, the comeback. Mm. So the comeback, as I said at the top, criminally underrated. I feel like it's... It's as close to, if not an exact, you know, sort of equal to the British office, like in the way that it's, you know, there are cameras there. It's sort of a mock reality show. And you have this central character who wants to be loved so badly. Um, it What was it like? working on that show i hear you had a smaller writer's room and that lisa was in there with you guys doing the character i can only imagine that just must have been amazing it was truly amazing i i'm pretty good friends with michael patrick king and so michael had said to me i'm gonna do this show and uh and i was like and you know with kudrow and i was like that sounds great let's do it and so we started it it was um yes it again was what felt familiar immediately was my experience at Larry Sanders because I felt yes. like we were again going to write about a person's crazy behavior. 
Yes. That was the one thing. The other thing was how truthful we tried to be about things. We we pushed things, but at the same time, I've now seen enough in Hollywood where I've like where I'm like, I don't think Valerie Cherish is that off the mark as like a real No, no, she's (laughs) a bullseye. Um so so it felt very familiar to me in that way. And it was very, very um it was again one of the most fulfilling experiences I've ever had because Kudra's a genius, yes. just an absolute genius. Totally. That character is something that she totally invented herself when her. she was at um, the Groundlings. And it was the the challenge about it, especially in the second season um, when I started, when I directed some of them, was we always tried to make it feel like it was happening right in the moment. And especially when you're directing, it's hard to... It's hard to set up your shots, but make your shot feel like a cameraman just happened to whip over at the exact moment <laughs> and find the thing. Yes. But it was, um, I just remember seeing her. I just remember being on the set with her and just thinking, she's got moves like I've just never seen before in someone um, and could go from being like, I, I speci- the thing I always talk about on this and my sort of standard comeback story is, I think it was my episode, but I'm not sure. It might not have been. But there was an episode where she had promised that she could get Tom Selleck to come on the show as a guest. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And she had kind of flaunted this around and she was kind of swinging it at at anybody that would listen and Tom's going to come and Tom's going to be on the show and Tom's going to do this and, you know, telling Polly G and kind of getting her back, you know, gets she's going to get some respect from Polly Jeep because she's going to get Tom Selleck, who he couldn't give it more of less of a shit about. <laughs> um, and then she gets a call from Tom Selleck and he says, I'm not, I can't do the show. <laughs> and we shot it. I forget where we were shooting it, but we shot through, she walked into a prop cage and she, and we shot it through the, the like, chain link of this prop cage yeah and this the the trajectory of the phone call starts off with her way up here and she's like oh hi tom oh so nice love bug you call me whatever. <laughs> and uh and she's like what you what and you just see this long pause and it's literally like this it's like literally like she just turns into crepe paper and just wow. collapses and she's like you can't Oh, oh, sure. Well, I, you know, and she's doing that Valerie thing. And it's one of my favorite things in comedy. And one of the things, or just in trying to write comedy that I'm always trying to look for is how can I have a really funny moment and then slide this pathos up against it? Yeah. And she can, she can slide back and forth between those two things and not break a sweat. And she's she's flawless and amazing and i don't know it was just one of it was like one of those things that every moment i was there was just heaven and that and you know writing it was not even that hard because again between michael and lisa you knew exactly what the target was you knew exactly what the target was and what not to do what would what valerie would never come out of her mouth what she would never say right what she would never do and what would come out of her mouth. It, and it, go ahead. No, that, that, but in, in you talk about the Larry Sanders similarity, which is such a great comp for the show. And we talked about how Larry had, 
Hank and Artie, and it was sort of a triad. With the comeback, it was pretty much all her. And that was a genius move because you had this desperate character, desperate to be loved for attention, for success, for admiration, surrounded by the absolutely pitch-perfect, indifferent world that it really is Hollywood. Like the writers were either either didn't give a shit about her or actively disliked her. You know, anyone you'd come across in terms of, you know, the, the, I'm thinking of the guy who put mics on people who was so creepy. Like, it, it just, everyone in the world was so, like, Hollywood is like an industry town where 98% of the people are just people going to a job that they don't even really like. And then you have this one person who thinks she's a shining star and she just can't get it from any side, including her incredibly cast husband, who He's was just amazing and just in another business. He was like a lawyer or something, yeah. just had nothing to do, had no concept or care about what Valerie was doing. And that whole thing they get into, I have to sidetrack for a minute about uh, the like running machine that Valerie had like a workout machine and they kept making references because she wanted badly for the the reality cameras to see it. Like, look at me, I work out. But everyone who walked past it was just like, you never use this thing. Like, why, you know, why, what are you doing in here? There were like clothes hanging on it. And then eventually that husband, Mark, like trips on it because he didn't know it was ever on and he, right. he shatters his wrist. I, I, I'm just fascinated to know in the writer's room, were you guys consciously doing that i mean were you saying like this is a basically a drum solo for lisa kudrow and everyone else is just going to be like they're not really going to take her bait right well we were i mean for one thing just the thing that's obvious but really bears repeating is you know the show literally did not exist unless lisa was in the scene if we didn't have lisa we had nothing so lisa was in as an actor, just speaking as an actor, she'd get a 30-page script and and go, I'm in every scene, in every moment, in every frame of the show. And you love it. And yes. you love it. It's a lot and of you, work. But you know, that her concentration to pull that off was like was like one thing. But we did literally, we literally would say, Michael would go, what would what would Valerie say? Like, let's say this. And and he'd say, Valerie's doing this and this in this situation. Okay, she's got this new running machine. So Valerie, here's your here's your uh are you Miss Cherish? Uh yeah, yes I am. <laughs> Valerie Cherish. And then it, they we would literally do the scene and and we'd improvise. And so I'd be I'd be the guy moving it in. And I'd be like, where do you want it, lady? And she's like, well, no, no, call me a lady. <laughs> That's nice. You know. Uh, wow, this is how you would write and it. Like, and, and, and our writer system just be like, like getting as much of it down as we can. Getting but nothing that, down. That scene would morph 10 different times in that thing. But what was great about it is you were, you were literally experiencing it in real time and go, That's how, that's how Lisa's mind thinks. That's what she's thinking about. It was it was such it were they were they were just such great signposts as a writer to say this is how I should go with this and this is how it should work. So did we think about the we thought about the other actors in the sense of like we wanted them to have things to do and and fun yeah. things for them to play too. But for sure, 
I, I will admit, what we were also doing was using them mm-hmm. to yes. just constantly turn up the heat on on Valerie. God. One thing I will say about the show, when you say it's kind of sort of like underrated show, one of the reasons that is true is I remember when there's two things that people would say to me all the time when that show came out. Number one was a lot of people, and it's hard to remember this now in the context of how much reality TV is out there now. Right. But the first season of the comeback was right coming out right on the very beginning of the bell-shaped curve of reality TV. There was some reality TV, but not a lot. Yeah. And a lot of people would say to me, I'm not really sure what I'm watching right. as far as what is yeah. this exactly? Yes, the format was tricky. Yeah, me. and I was like, well, it's raw. It's supposed to be raw footage of like this sort of documentary they're doing about this thing. And then the other thing was, as people would say to me all the time, was some people would say, it's like watching a horror movie when it's like, you're just yelling at the TV, don't go into that room. That's what the theater is. But for Valerie, you were like, don't do that. Please don't do that. To me, that's a sign of a great, like you're doing a fantastic job if people are having that reaction. And, And I read in your interview, you said that and and I'm sure this is true that people use the term cringeworthy a lot, which mm-hmm. for me is also like you watch David Brent in the British office. And, and I guess you could say, yeah, he's cringeworthy too, but it's he's also one of the funniest characters of all time. And well, I think and I Valerie think, Chase. And, I, and I, I would just also say too, I think that's kind of a slightly uh pardon me guys for using this word, but I think it's a little uh a little bit of the patriarchy showing its face in the sense of like I think like Carell does it and it's funny and hilarious and oh my god he's so crazy but uh, she does it and it's like oh it makes me it makes me go oh you're so why are you doing that like I I feel like it's I feel like her doing it she didn't she didn't get as much leeway with that character to me as a a, a dude would have gotten in doing it like like Carell does with Okay, but I'm not going to sit yeah. by and watch the patriarchy be attacked on this show. <laughs> bring it on, Goldie. Bring it on. Bring it on, man. Bring it on. Well, all right. So, well, bless you Thank for you. for the comeback because, boy, that uh, – I mean, I've laughed as hard at that show it's as, so as good. any show ever. It really it's is. So it really was. I, and I know I, – I think a lot of people have seen it, but I, I do think that, so, you know – watch it even if you've seen it i'm gonna go watch it again yeah i I know i just want to i just want to make this little draw this little line because it's been on my mind um uh since i just saw it um i don't watch a lot of like i haven't seen 30 rock i never see 30 rock because i don't even know what it's on if it is on anything or maybe i guess it's on peacock right but this guy ryan a guy i follow on instagram put up a I actually talked to our our post supervisor. I literally zoomed with her yesterday for this reason. He put up the second episode we did of 30 Rock and the second episode of 30 Rock, Tracy joins the show and then he throws a big party on his yacht. And and Jane, this is to Janie Krakowski. Yeah. A shout out to her who also has very a lot of Valerie like qualities. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a moment that this guy put up on his Instagram feed that made me laugh so hard that I had totally forgotten about, which is Tracy walks over and and he's so young and he looks beautiful and he's in this white dinner jacket and he walks over to him and he goes, someone told me you sing. I didn't know that. Sing something for me. And, and she, and he hands her a drink and she goes, oh, nobody wants to hear that. 
And he goes, I do. And literally the word do just barely comes out of his mouth. <laughs> and she's like, some folks take a holiday. A New York state of mind, like full blast. <laughs> Love and that. literally, again, talking about skill sets. Yeah. Literally goes from like nearly heartbreaking, I'm not, I'm not good at <laughs> thing to yeah. Like, like that. Oh, and God. it's so and I was saying to I was saying to Irene, our post supervisor, and she's like, I know, and she goes, and she she had seen it a million times. She's saying, then they're holding it in a two shot, and it's hilarious to see what <laughs> Tracy's doing. <laughs> and I know that that show that's that joke is not you know that original, but to see Jane do it, to see Jane be in that sense, almost to the point of like, oh, I feel so bad for her. She doesn't think she's that good. <laughs> also, we didn't. The audience didn't know her yet as a character and right. didn't know what she was truly like. So that they, it did, they knew it her after that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, but that's... I think she's, I just want to mention it because it's honorable mention in my, I, I love Janie so much. And that's great. Yeah, that is so awesome. awesome. Man, you've been in so many special rooms and um, we took a lot of your time today and we so appreciate you coming in to, to talk about all of them. And I know that, you know, we hear from people who want to be writers or people that don't even really want to have anything to do with Hollywood. And they love hearing these kinds of stories. And you've yes. really given us a bunch of great so ones today. So, John Regi, thank you so much for being here. Thank well, you. Thanks, guys. I really, really enjoyed it. And I hope I, I feel like sometimes I, when I start uh, talking about stuff, I get like like a million thoughts are coming into my head at once. So I hope it's somewhat coherent. Oh, no, the good totally ones is. came out. The good yeah. ones came out. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> JC will cut me out in post and it'll just fly. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's time for a portion of the show we like to call Top 5. Top 5. All right. Great singing. Okay, so this was mine this week. It was top five French things. I'll just right. get right into it. Okey-dokes. Number five, ennui. Oh, I think ennui oh, is oui, awesome. Oui. Just smoke a cigarette, stare out the window, be bored. <laughs> um, number four, French kisses. Nice. Good job. Good <laughs> job. It's better. They're better. Nicer. Uh, number three, croissant. Oh, I love it's maybe my favorite. Uh, there oh. is du overlap. Oh, oh. croissant, oui. Uh, and number two is uh, the language. Oh. I think the French language is absolutely gorgeous. Okay. I, uh, as Goldie remembers, I took French through high school, which means if I hear two people speaking a foreign language on the subway, I can tell you whether or not. It's French. <laughs> joke from my old stand-up that got about the same reaction that it got although those many years ago. And number one for me, I, I think I might be alone in this. Number one for me, Les Miserables. Oh, oh do I love that? My favorite musical. You don't All have right, to sweet. be like the French philosopher on too long. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Goldie, go ahead. Okay, number five, croissant. Croissant. Yes, number four. Baguette. Oh, ah, excellent. Uh, number three is French bicycles. 
Oh. And make a beautiful bicycle. Exactly. Oh. My fuck breaks. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Côte d'Azur. Oh, French oh. coast. Oh, Côte d'Azur. Nice. <laughs> looks beautiful. I've never actually been Azure. there. But it, it looks, looks Azure. And number one, indisputably and indubitably, oh. Nutella. That's French? Oh, oh no you didn't know that was idea. French. We had, had a idea. French exchange student. My brother went there, and then he came to our house, and he brought Nutella. And remember, in the 80s, you couldn't really buy stuff. Like, right. There yep. just wasn't it's anything. And this was, it was like receiving a magical gift from another world. Yes. <laughs> totally. I can And then I searched for it forever again, didn't see it for another 15 years. Wow. <laughs> now you can get it everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do, you, right. do you now care about it? No. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. Je sais. Je, Janice. Janice. Um, number five, crepes. Oh, very okay. good. Very good. Uh, no, <laughs> number four, French onion soup. Oh, um, excellent. Uh, Au coup de fromage. <laughs> <laughs> number three, The Little Prince. The book, oh, The Little Prince. Le, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number <jamais>. four, <laughs> uh, French cheeses, I guess. Oh, Jesus Christ. Cheese and fromage. And then number one, this is so random. It's a store that closed... In in Paris, it's called Colette. It's an amazing store. If anybody knows the store, you'll understand what this means. But it's a weird sort of exhibition concept store that was like very cutting edge. But it it went out of business over uh, a little before the pandemic. But it was. Is that where you used to get your jackets with zippers on them? <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yes. Okay. Good. I'll just say yes. I don't know. Um, okay, so that was my number one. Yes. Next week's, I'm going to go with top five logos. Ooh. Okay. We, we haven't done Love that, right? It. Okay, cool. Love top five logos. All right, we'll look forward to that next week. And do we have a okay, guest cool. next week? That guest is... <laughs> it's your agent, Matt Rice. <gasps> wow. I'm so excited for next week. Super agent extraordinaire from UTA, the United Talent Agency, Mr. Matt Rice and Goldie. Dude, thanks for the rice. <laughs> We're excited to talk to him, get the inside scoop on what they think about all of us. Yes. Spoiler alert, they think we're babies because we yeah. are. Yep. Um, all right, let's end this week, as we do every week, on a high note. I have no idea what to do for a high note this week. I It was so nice seeing all of you for my birthday. Tall did an amazing job, but I feel like I fucked it up. So my highlight no. is what's to come for me. Self-discovery. Okay. Right. Well, I, I just, you know what? One little thing. You're allowed to be moody, by the way. I just got mm. I, I wanted to say that earlier, but I'm married to a man who's very similar in the way that you go about your life, similar background, and he's a very moody person. And if he's when he's moody, I give him the space to be moody. So yeah, you well, you I don't give that. yourself the space. Might to be, be moody, all the so. weed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You both share that. So <laughs> uh, uh, my high note is Isaiah Taylor. 
Oh, yeah. Zeke. Uh, yes. Zeke. Is that what you guys call him? I don't know. That was Isaiah Thomas's nickname, oh. was Zeke. So I don't know why I gave him that nickname. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Isaiah Taylor has been helping us um, behind the scenes. He's been helping us with our promo assets. Yes. And yep. is it is it a coincidence that I think last week we may have had our best listener week ever? Oh. And I mean, I know Seth Meyers had something to do with that because he yeah. was generous enough to post That's on true. his social but media. I, <laughs> I made those promo assets for Seth well, of Meyers. Course, yes, so. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yes. But maybe just pushing them out on no, one extra outlet. And that was his idea to release them early. So, yes. This I is did. why we need someone under 50 on the team. Yes, <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> I no longer qualify. And uh, soon, hopefully, we'll take some burden off of my shoulders. But that's what we're working on. So Thanks, yeah. Isaiah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, look, my high note, I had a great trip to the East Coast. A lot of it was Yorintal hospi- hospitality. Oh. Uh, the house was great. The people were great. The food was great. Um, I had a good time, and even if you didn't, <laughs> I did. <laughs> and uh, and I saw my mom; that was great. And uh, so, you know, let's see what this week brings. Yeah. Okay. All and Goldie right. is going to be bringing in your your gift from me. Yes. Oh, from me. All, yeah, and all three of us will have one. So. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Okay, Very cool. exciting. Well. Thank you, too, for talking me through this today. I really needed it. Happy birthday. Thank everyone for putting up with my little tantrum hissy fit. And (laughs) uh, we will talk to all of you next week. Next week. (laughs) Thanks for the rice. Yum, yum, yum.